Open God's holy word to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 19. Jeremiah, chapter 19, I'll be reading verses 1 through 15. Thus says Yahweh, Go, buy a potter's earthenware flask, and take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priest, and go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom at the entry of the potsherd gate, and proclaim there the words that I tell you. You shall say, Hear the word of Yahweh, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such a disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle, because the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known, and because they have filled this place with the blood of innocence and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did it come into my mind. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares Yahweh, when this place shall no more be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And in this place I will make void the plans of Judah and Jerusalem, and will cause their people to fall by the sword before their enemies, and by the hands of those who seek their life. I will give their dead bodies for food to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the earth. And I will make the city a horror, a thing to be hissed at. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss because of all its wounds. And I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and their daughters. And everyone shall eat the flesh of his neighbor in the siege and in, their, and in the distress with which their enemies and those who seek their life afflict them. Then you shall break the flask in the sight of the men who go with you, and shall say to them, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, So will I break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel, so that it can never be mended. Men shall bury in Topheth, because there will be no place else to bury. Thus will I do to this place, declares Yahweh, and to its inhabitants, making this city like Topheth. The houses of Jerusalem and the houses of the kings of Judah, all the houses on whose roofs offerings have been offered to all the host of heaven, and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods, shall be defiled like the place of Topheth. Then Jeremiah came from Topheth, where Yahweh had sent him to prophesy, and he stood in the court of Yahweh's house and said to all the people, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon this city and upon all its towns all the disaster that I have pronounced against it, because they have stiffened their neck, refusing to hear my words. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, have mercy on we sinners who deserve nothing other than the wrath seen in our text 
this morning. Grant us to have soft hearts and not stiff necks. May we be malleable, yielding clay in the hands of our potter and not a hard, finished product to be dashed beneath the rod of your king. Father, open eyes to see the holy God with whom we have to deal if we will not repent and bow before your Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Itching ears are too often scratched when they need to be made to tingle. Soft words are soothingly spoken over hard clay, but they will not blunt the blow. Peace is declared, but the war is not averted. False prophets are abundant, and the true ones are rare because they're silenced and persecuted. The false are sought out, the true are silenced. In Jeremiah 18.18, We saw this demonstrated in rejecting Jeremiah's words. The people say, come, let us make plots against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come, let us strike him with the tongue, and let us not pay attention to any of his words. There were plenty of priests, there were plenty of prophets, there were plenty of wise men, they had those in abundance. But when one came along who was true, like Jeremiah, they went to silence him. And so our word this morning, coming from the mouth of a true prophet, is not a pleasant one, it's a necessary one. This is the word of Yahweh. If we refuse to hear its horror with our ears, we, if, if you refuse to hear its horror with your ears, you will hear it with all your being eternally. Those who will not hear with their ears now will hear with their soul forever. Those who will hear will never hear these words as true of them. So hear then the word of Yahweh. Yahweh gives four commands to his prophet in verses 1 and 2. And first off, notice this. It's real subtle. Thus says Yahweh, go buy a potter's earthenware flax. The, the prophet is unnamed. He's assumed. Contrast this with chapter 18 and verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from Yahweh. This is the first clue that you have that the episode we're about to dive into is connected to the previous one. You'll see others, it's obvious, the the potter theme that runs through them. But these two passages come together, and you'll see also chapter 20. Along with chapters 18 and 19, all of them form a single unit. The first command is that Jeremiah is to return to the potter. True, it could be a different potter, we don't know. But nonetheless, to the potter, to a potter, Jeremiah returns. But there are a lot of contrasts. In the the previous chapter, the potter was forming a vessel, and now Jeremiah is to buy a finished product, a clay vessel. This time, Jeremiah is going to prepare to act, to, to do an act 
that will be alongside us proclaiming the word of Yahweh. Previously, he went to the potter's house to observe the potter and receive the word of Yahweh. Last time, the potter's house functioned like a vision accompanying the reception of the word. This time, he's making preparation for the declaration of the word. And there are three times in Jeremiah where he's told to go out and buy something, and none of them proved to be a great investment. God is not doing insider trading with Jeremiah. There's one instance, the one that we won't, haven't covered yet, where it is a, it's an act that speaks of hope rather than destruction. But nonetheless, for Jeremiah personally, it's not a great investment. None of these are. The first one that we already have dealt with in chapter 13 was where Jeremiah was instructed to buy a loincloth. That loincloth was spoiled. And a similar fate is expected already. There's just omens all over the place for this pot. So he's, uh, the second thing he's commanded to do is take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priest, a represent, representative group, taken from both. Verse 1 again. Verse 2, third, he's to go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom, and he's specifically to go out the potsherd gate. We don't know which gate this is. It's on the south side of the city towards the valley of the son of Hinnom, but it's specifically that gate that he's supposed to go to overlooking this valley. He's taking a field trip. He's taking some students with him, And though we're not certain of the lesson, the signs are ominous. This valley, the valley of the son of Hinnom, or Topheth, is that place where in worshiping Baal and Moloch, they offered up their children in sacrifice. Jeremiah 32-35. Jeremiah has spoken of Israel being like clay in the hands of her potter, and she's hardened her heart toward the word of Yahweh, and here he is walking out towards the potsherd gate with a clay pot. They already know pot equals Israel. That's already been explained. And he's going out there with the very leaders who have said, let's silence him to the potsherd gate, overlooking the valley of their most gross idolatry. Can you feel the tension? Fourth, at the gate, he's to proclaim the words Yahweh tells him. I can't help it, but think of the scenario where you've got the guy on camera and he's got an earpiece that no one else can see and some malicious friend is telling him the words to say that they know are going to provoke the other party. That's the scenario that's laid out in front of us. And as we move forward, notice two things. First, the predominance of words, the preeminence of words. Jeremiah's taking a field trip. He's got an object lesson, but the words dominate. And that's the second thing that with this I want you to notice is how masterfully this story is told. You know that this place is important. You, you, if you were listening carefully, you saw this place, this place repeated again and again. You know that the place is important and you know that the pot has some kind of meaning, but you've got all these words, and, and it builds and builds. The tension builds, your suspicion is intrigued, and it, he doesn't alleviate it immediately. You, you want to know, how's this all going to come together? Now, as for those words, 
that the leaders represent the people is clear by the words that, that are addressed to them. The kings of Judah, this word is for the kings of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, verse 3. And so these men not only represent all of Judah, it's then imperative that they share them with all of Judah. And then further, who is addressed is matched by who is addressing. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel. God, as it were, gives His full name. Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel. He gives His full name to remind them of the covenant union that they share with Him. That they are His bride, they are His people. And the word in summary given is this. God is bringing, their God is bringing upon them, His people, such a disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. The words, this place, again, are significant. This is a very geographically oriented word of judgment. We'll see that as it unfolds, but for now, just understand that the field trip is central to the message that he's, Jeremiah is declaring. The first time this phrase concerning the ears tingling, the first time we come across it in Scripture, is in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 11, concerning the judgment that's coming upon Israel and the house of Eli whenever the ark will be captured by the Philistines. The second time that we hear this phrase, ears tingling, comes during the reign of Manasseh. And the judgment that's pronounced then is identical to the one Jeremiah is declaring now. It concerns a judgment wherein, once again, Ichabod will happen. The glory of Israel, the, he will depart from Israel. He will leave his people. He will abandon them. Ear-tingling judgment is that wherein Yahweh abandons his people over to his wrath. Upon what grounds does this ear-tingling disaster come? There are three grounds given. First, verse 4, because they have fundamentally, this is the fundamental reason, the fundamental grounds, they have forsaken Yahweh. Because they have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known. They have forsaken Yahweh. This is the theme we see again and again throughout Jeremiah. This is the theme of the prophets as they act as God's covenant prosecuting attorneys, showing where Israel has violated the terms of the covenant and pronouncing the curses, that, therefore, according to the covenant upon them. They have forsaken Yahweh, the fountain of living waters, and hewn for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water, Jeremiah chapter 2. They have broken covenant with all their harlotry with the false gods, Jeremiah chapter 3. She has foreignized this place. The word that you have for profaned in verse, um, verse 3, uh, excuse me, verse 4, because they have forsaken me and have profaned this place. The word you have as profaned is often translated giving the sense of foreign or alien. And so in chapter 5 and verse 19, it speaks of foreign gods. They have foreignized 
this place. The Christian standard has, they have made this a foreign place, the King James. They have estranged this place. This holy place where they were to express covenant fidelity to God, the marriage bed, if you will, of their covenant, they have defiled, they have profaned, they have made foreign by going after foreign gods that neither they nor their fathers have known. Yahweh's redeemed them. They know Him in covenant love. And He's given them this land as their inheritance. And they, by their spiritual harlotry, which works itself out in gross sexual perversion, they have foreignized, they have defiled the wedding bed. They've defiled this place. This kind of gross sexual immorality and infidelity, spiritual adultery, takes place within Israel. And it does likewise among the confessing, visible, professing church today. For example... The planned Southern Baptist Pastors Conference, which precedes the Southern Baptist Convention, the National Convention, the conference plan for this year is a wreck. One of the speakers is David Hughes. He's the pastor of Church by the Glades in Florida. Their church has put on a number of sexually suggestive performances, skits, whatever you want to call them. So, for example... One of the most recent sermon series was Circus. That was the name of the series. To introduce it, to to get people excited about this new series, there was a performance that featured clowns, jugglers, balance act, stilt walkers, and dancers and singers performing the song Circus by Britney Spears. I'll let you just guess as to the choreography and the way it jives with our text. On their church website, you'll find this. Instead of a typical statement of faith, this description. Traditionally, when someone finds a what we believe in link on a church website, they find an abbreviated canned commentary on various doctrines the church adheres to. We at Church by the Glades are not very good at being canned. Instead, we value being original, creative, and above all, honest. Read on to discover what we believe and who we honestly strive to be. The problem is, God doesn't ask for originality or creativity. He asks of His stewards that they be found faithful. We are to worship Him in spirit and in truth, And as Saul learned from Samuel, to obey is greater than sacrifice. They think they've done something amazing in in presenting this sacrifice for God, but he's disgusted. Like Israel, many today who profess to be a church rub their whoredom in the face of God and think he's tickled by it. So that's the first grounds, is they've forsaken Yahweh with their idolatry. The second grounds for this ear-tingling disaster, verse 4, is that they filled this place with the blood of innocence. This involves greed on the part of the leaders exploiting the poor. Chapter 2, verse 34, Yahweh tells them, On your skirts is found the lifeblood of the guiltless poor. You did not find them breaking in. What that means by not finding them breaking in is you had no cause to take their life. 
There was no reason for it. You used your authority to oppress them in greed. It also involves their treatment of the prophets. Also in chapter 2 of Jeremiah, God tells them, chapter 2, verse 30, In vain have I struck your children. They took no corruption. correction. Your own sword devoured your prophets like a ravening lion. Third, the grounds for the third final grounds for this judgment is that they've built up high places to offer up their sons to Baal, verse 5. God tells them he did not command or decree this. It never entered his mind. It never entered his mind, but we go to Leviticus 18.21, Deuteronomy 19, 9 through 14, and the terms of the covenant are clear. They were never to do anything like this. It's forbidden. What does he mean it never entered his mind? We often speak of anthropomorphic language. Well, this is an anthropopath, uh, I can't get it out, popathism. This is using language, human emotional language of God. So anthropomorphic is saying God has an ear. This anthropopathic language is God has a heart. It's saying that he never desired this. It never entered his mind. He, there, was no, there was nothing on the palate of his soul that desired this ever in any way. Now, did you notice how a because separates, it, it shows you the reasons. These are the grounds. Why is this ear-tingling judgment coming? Because. And, but there's a second because that separates the first reason from the second and third. So why is this judgment coming upon them? Because the people have forsaken me and profaned this place. So the second and third reasons are separated from the first reasons. They have their own because and they're linked by an and. One way that they're filling this place with the blood of innocence is by offering up innocent children in sacrifice to Moloch and Baal. And this place, the United States, is filled with the blood of innocence over 60 million innocence in the worship of state legalized, the, the worship of Molech, the modern worship of Molech, state legalized worship since 1973, 60 million, their blood has been shed and it fills this place. Those are only the official numbers. In this place, Oklahoma, 14 innocent. Every day. 5,000 this year. And we're one of the states that prides itself in performing so well in curbing the numbers. 14 souls every day. The fundamental reason for this disaster is because they've forsaken Yahweh. But then flowing from this, they, they've been unfaithful to Yahweh and it works its way out in them being unfaithful to one another. Exploiting the poor and innocent. Worship and morality are not separate issues. Your worship of God impacts your love of your neighbor. If you don't worship the true God, you will falsely love man. And this is the why... Killing babies is justified in the name of loving women. A false system of worship gives way to false definitions, which are used to justify a false morality. 
So your worship is never a private matter. It's always public. And this is why as worshipers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. This is why false worshiping Cains slay true worshiping Abel's. But we're, we see clearly again and again in the word as we do right here, their blood cries out from the ground. And vengeance is Yahweh's. A disaster is certain to fall on this place, this world that will make the ears tingle of everyone who hears it. And so in verses 6 through 9, this ear-tingling disaster is then spelled out. And initially, I think you have an overarching statement, a summary statement in verse 6 that explains what this disaster is altogether. And it's followed by five I will statements that tease out this further. So in summary, the disaster that Yahweh is going to bring that will make everyone's ears tingle is that the valley of the son of Hinnom, Topheth, will be renamed the valley of slaughter. Why so? Five I will statements. First, God will make void their plans. Verse 7. So you remember in chapter 18, in rebellion against God's word that he's the potter, they're the clay, he can do with them as they wish, and this should cause their responsibility to lie heavy on their shoulders so that they return to Yahweh. In response to that, they say, that is vain, that is in vain. We will follow our own plans and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart, Jeremiah 18, 12. These plans will be foiled, and this means more than a spoiled vacation. Psalm 33.10 says, Yahweh brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. So Israel, in foreignizing the land, is acting like pagans, and God is telling them, I will treat you as such. I will make void all your plans. Israel has foreignized, and God is telling her, you will be foreignized. You have foreignized, and you will be foreignized. What this looks like is clear in Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? They make plans in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. He holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury. Israel is going to be treated not like His covenant bride, but like an idolatrous foreigner. Second, he will cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies. Verse 7. Again, verse 7. Those who fall will not be buried, but God will give them as food to the beasts of the earth, the birds of the air. And that this happens specifically in this valley, you remember was made clear in chapter 7. The sons of Judah have done evil in my sight, declares Yahweh. They have set their detestable things in the house that is called by my name to defile it. And they have built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command them, nor did it come into my mind. Therefore, 
Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when it will no more be called Topheth or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter, for they will bury in Topheth because there is no room elsewhere, and the dead bodies of this people will be food for the birds of the air and for the beast of the earth, and none will frighten them away. Fourth, we make a transition from this place being Topheth to it being the city itself, verse 8. And I will make this city a horror, a thing to be hissed at. The valley of slaughter is terrifying enough, but now the whole city is to be made a horror. And the word that you have as hiss here can have the idea of, of whistle. And so we, we know something of this. Whenever you see something, a devastation, destruction, just that it's, it's awful, it, it overtakes you, one might whistle. Except that here, it carries also the idea of scorn. So it's similar to our gesture, but it has the idea of scorn. You get the sense of it really well in Jeremiah's Lamentations, chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. All who pass along the way clap their hands at you. They hiss and wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty? The joy of all the earth? All your enemies rail against you. They hiss. They gnash their teeth. They cried. We have swallowed her. Ha! This is the day we longed for. Now we have it. We see it. And then fifth, the most ghastly of curses. God will make them to eat the flesh of their sons and their daughters. Verse 9. And this was a promised consequence of the covenant. Should they be unfaithful? Deuteronomy 28, 52 through 57 speaks of this. The distress laid against Jerusalem in this siege will be so great that they will cannibalize their sons, their daughters, their neighbors. And it's inescapable. God will do this. This is the just and holy wrath of God It is the disaster, the ear-tingling disaster He brings upon those who break covenant with Him. And so can you see this? It comes full circle. They've come to this place, this place of this gross idolatry where they've offered up children and now a judgment's coming upon them such that the distress of it will be that they will eat the flesh of their sons and daughters. So you understand something now of the significance of this place, Topheth, What about that jar? We know why we've taken the field trip. What about the object lesson? Chapter 18, we have soft, malleable clay. Now we have the hardened vessel. And it's broken, verse 11, such that it can never be mended. Derek Kidner comments, If there's nothing so workable as a clay pot in the making, there's nothing so unalterable as the finished article. If it's wrong then, that is that. Returning to the second psalm, we're told that the nations that plot and scheme against Yahweh, that God's king will break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This is the final and ultimate judgment, one that cannot be recovered from. 
they are not under some temporal fatherly discipline, but the holy and eternal wrath of God Almighty. Topheth will become, verse 11, an open grave because there's nowhere else to bury. And then in verse 12, once again, this place becomes, transitions to this city. Thus will I do to this place, declares Yahweh, and to its inhabitants, making this city like Topheth. The houses of Jerusalem, the houses of the kings of Judah, all the houses on whose roofs offerings have been offered to all the host of heaven, and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods. So the flat roofs of their houses have been turned into pagan shrines. In chapter 7, we saw this elaborated on. This was their family worship. The children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. And then chapter 8 verses 1 and 2 goes on to unfold the judgment related to that specific act. At that time, declares Yahweh, the bones of the kings of Judah, the bones of its officials, the bones of the priests, the bones of the prophets, and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be brought out of their tombs. They shall be spread before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven which they have loved and served, which they have gone after and which they have sought and worshipped, and they shall not be gathered or buried. They shall be as dung on the surface of the ground." Their houses are going to be defiled like Topheth because their houses have become Topheth. Know this. If you visit Topheth, you always track its dirt indoors. Fathers, if you worship idols outside the home, you will bring them with you in the home. Don't visit Topheth. You can't wipe the dirt off your feet. You can't compartmentalize your life. You can't have a holy home and come to worship in a, in a holy assembly thinking that you can wipe that dirt off your feet from having visited Topheth throughout the week. The final part of our passage, verses 14 through 15, you notice it's different. It just sounds different as you read it. A narrator's voice is introduced. You transition from Jeremiah being commanded to do something to the, the, uh, the author assumes he's done it. And now what's the aftermath? After Jeremiah delivers this word, he goes from this defiled and wicked place back into the city up to the most holy place. He goes from the most wicked place outside the city up to what should be the most holy place inside the city. And there he declares again the disaster Yahweh is going to bring on this place. This time the reason given is because they have stiffened their neck, refusing to hear Yahweh's words, verse 15. And why record this episode? Why the change in voice? Well, first, the transition to the narrator's voice moves you from what was commanded to what is being done, and you're, you're left wondering, what are the consequences? Remember chapter 18, 
Jeremiah speaks and we see a response. Jeremiah speaks and we see a response. He's, he's being faithful to declare the word of Yahweh and we see them responding negatively each time. And now he's spoken again. And remember, the, the whole situation as it was built up at first. He's got the clay pot. He's got some of the leaders who have said, silence him. He's going out to this place that's called the potsherd gate where you're expecting him then to break the pot, which is Israel declaring a word of their destruction. And so you're wondering, what's going to happen? And now the narrator's voice is preparing you, preparing to tell you what happens. That's going to come in chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. So verses 14 through 15 are this bridge taking you from what Jeremiah was supposed to do to he's done it, what's going to happen? Second, what this does is it makes clear Jeremiah doesn't leave it up to the leaders to share the word that's an imperative that they share. He declares it himself to all the inhabitants of Judah, Jerusalem. And third, this makes clear that point that I was making earlier that we've seen what is to become of Topheth and now that the city is to become like what Topheth will become. It's as though Jeremiah is intentionally bringing in the dirt from that defiled place into the most holy place as an omen against it and the destruction that's coming. There are many sobering passages in this book. But this one makes the ears to tingle. If you're wondering what that means, it's what happens when you read this passage. You might not have the physical sensation, but the ears of your soul prickle at reading this judgment. And if they do not, read it again. Slowly. Carefully. Prayerfully, asking God that they would. And as they do, fear God. Tremble at His Word. Hear His words, hear His prophet, hear the prophet. Jesus Christ. Fear, repent, and hear the words of His prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing that all plans against His King, Jesus, are rendered void. They're of no effect. Know that man who is made of the dust, who so often thinks himself strong when he hardens himself against his Maker, has become nothing more than a clay vessel that will shatter easily and irreparably under his iron rod. This world, that is all who reject the word, Jesus Christ, this world will be made a valley of slaughter. But saints, that is yet to come. Right now, we're in the position of Jeremiah. It's required us to be faithful 
to proclaim Christ, repentance and faith, hoping for that repentance and trusting as we obey that our Lord will return. What happens to Jeremiah? Well, immediately he's persecuted, he suffers. But ultimately, he, along with all the saints, will be vindicated when Christ returns. So with that, I can think of no more fitting way to bring this chapter home to all of us than to read those words that Paul opens his second letter to the Thessalonians with. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. Because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions. Not your originality and your creativity that everyone likes you. In your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in all the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not Obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among those who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end... We always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, when it's done, may it be said that we were faithful to you and not popular to men. Make us worthy of your calling and fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by your power so that the name of your Son may be glorified in us according to your grace 
the grace that's in Christ. In His name, Amen.